Welcome back, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith in Marriage. I am your host, Dr. Mario Sacasa, and so grateful to share this episode with you today. In case you missed it, uh, this show is about hope. <laughs> and uh, thus far, I have had numerous conversations with people of faith as to how our faith helps us in times of trouble. But since I am a counselor, I have to ask, what does the science teach us about hope? How has hope been studied and applied in the psychological research? Well, that's the topic of conversation for today. And joining me is the nation's leading researcher on the psychology of hope, Dr. Matt Gallagher from the University of Houston. Dr. Gallagher has studied hope for many years, carrying on the legacy of Drs. Rick Snyder and Shane Lopez, the principal founders of Hope Theory. Dr. Gallagher brings great clarity and depth into our conversation today in this episode. Well, in this episode, we define hope from a psychological perspective, examine why hope is not the same thing as passive optimism, why personal agency is supremely important in life, and we get into developing strategies of things that you can do when you find yourself being low in hope. After the show is done, please head on over to faithinmarriage.org for more great information about the good things we're doing to help you on your journey of faith. All right, let's get into this conversation with Dr. Matt Gallagher. Dr. Matt Gallagher, welcome to the Always So Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to to join me on on my show. Uh, as I was just sharing with you, and as the listeners know, uh, over the last few months for me personally, I have just been um, enthralled with this research of the psychology of hope. I've, as a Catholic, I've I certainly have done a number of reading with regards to theology of hope. But recently, as I've kind of followed positive psychology, the movement there, and then just stumbling, I don't even know how I stumbled across. Rick Snyder's work and Shane Lopez's work and your work as well. And being able to just read this, the breadth of research that's there regarding the psychology of hope has just been honestly a tremendous, tremendous blessing for me personally as a practitioner um, and in my own life in general. Um, so I, I would just love for you just to introduce yourself to the audience and kind of what kind of spurned this idea for you to do research on hope. Sure. Um, so I'm Dr. Matt Gallagher. I'm an associate professor of psychology at the University of Houston. And I started getting into the scientific study of hope uh, when I was an undergraduate, just kind of first getting my feet wet with doing research of trying to get a sense of what were the areas of psychology that had a sense of positive thinking actually being helpful, but actually had some scientific basis for it. So moving beyond just think positive, what were the different theories, models, measures that had been developed to actually really look at in a rigorous way? What are the benefits? What are the contexts in which having positive thinking might be beneficial? And so that's when I stumbled upon the work of Rick Snyder. Um, and I was fortunate to uh, go work with him and then subsequently Shane Lopez at the University of Kansas. And the scientific study of hope has kind of remained really a major focus of my research and also something I try and integrate in clinical practice um, past 15 years or so. Awesome. Awesome. Now, I believe Shane Lopez and Rick Snyder were both in Kansas. Is that correct? University of Kansas? Yes, they're both University of Kansas. And is that where, did you go there to study specifically to be with them or, or just kind of that's where you got accepted and that was the direction that kind of worked out for you? 
No, that's where I went to University of Kansas specifically to work with uh, Rick Snyder. And so I went to work with him. And unfortunately, shortly after I got there, he passed away. Mm. Um, but that's when I started working with Shane Lopez more closely. He had been Rick's protege for many years, kind of took over the mantle as being a, a lead researcher in the scientific study of hope. So I worked with him while he was at the University of Kansas. And he subsequently went to work um, with the Clifton Strengths Institute and the Gallup Corporation doing a lot of really interesting work looking at how we can apply the science of hope to educational settings and help students understand how hope can help them to achieve their goals. Um, and so he left the University of Kansas, but I kept collaborating with him um, for many years. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. So 101 here, all right, ground level, mm -hmm. what is the theory of hope? What does that look like? So the theory of hope, really defines human behavior in terms of the goals that we set. And so thinking about whether it's in a personal sense or professional sense, or just kind of how we spend our free time, that much of what we do is driven by the goals that we have. And so that we want to maintain or develop new relationships, we want to succeed in school, whatever it may be that we have these goals that we're usually aware of, but not always, they can be kind of subconscious. And so human behavior is motivated by goals. And what Rick Snyder's theory of hope emphasizes is two components that play a really central role in determining how successful we are in achieving those goals. And so what he defined hope as is the interaction of pathways thinking and agency thinking. And pathways thinking is how you come up with strategies, so how you get from point A to point B. Can you think of different routes, avenues, approaches to pursue your goals? And when you encounter obstacles, can you kind of be flexible enough to think about Okay, the first option didn't work. What's another way can I approach the pursuit of this goal? And so that's pathways thinking, kind of the how do you get there? And then agency thinking is the more motivational component of hope theory, which emphasizes do you have the belief and the faith, the expectation that you can successfully pursue those pathways to achieve those goals? And so when people have the combination of high pathways, and high agency, kind of the willpower and the way power, is how it's sometimes referred, that's what we found to represent high levels of hope. And that's something that in the almost 30 years now since this theory was first developed, has been shown to be uh, quite a strong predictor of improved outcomes in academics, sports performance, various kind of clinical and health topics, so many different life domains. It is something that appears to be a really important predictor of how people are doing. So hope then is future oriented, it's goal oriented, and, mm -hmm. it's, and it's having that combination, as you said, of both the desire uh, for yeah. being able to achieve said goal, whatever that is in your life, while at the same time having those pathways and kind of the knowledge and the, the awareness of how to be able to, to, to get to the goal. Is that right? Exactly. It's a positive kind of future oriented cognition. And one thing that's different in terms of how we define hope in the scientific community versus how it's sometimes used colloquially uh -huh. is that hope is not a passive thing. It's not something where you think positive and you just sit back and hope for the best. In terms of how we think about, measure, and study hope, it's very much something that when people are high hope, they're actively pursuing their goals. So they're not just waiting for good outcomes to happen by chance. They're actively thinking about what are different coping strategies, behaviors, different things they can do to actually bring about those outcomes in a very active, proactive way. 
Yeah. So, you know, in my life, even when I use the word hope, sometimes we, we, we offer it just like you said, passively, like colloquially. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I just hope that, uh, it, you know, the saints win the Super Bowl or something, yes. you know, because uh, I'm in New Orleans and no offense to the Texans, obviously yeah, I know well, you're in Houston, so my apologies. We're not likely to win, so that's fine. <laughs> you know, or I hope we don't get a bad call this year, huh? But that, yes. that's, 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 that's better yeah, for the Saints understandable. fans. <laughs> but that type of hope isn't what you're speaking about with, in terms of the psychological literature or the, or the science of it. That's a passive, like I have no control over how the team's going to perform. That's just a, a, a fleeting thought. That's not what you're speaking about, right? Correct. And that's often a source of confusion in terms of that sort of passive that you hope things turn out well, kind of framed that way where you expect good things to happen, but you're not necessarily, you're the person that's going to make that happen. You don't have control or agency over the referees and championship games. So (laughs) you might want that to happen, but you don't have control. And so in terms of positive psychology, that kind of thinking actually is more consistent with how we define optimism. And so that's uh, most commonly, the work of um, Charles Carver and Michael Shire looking at optimism as a general expectation that more good things are going to happen than bad things, where it might be because of something you do, it might be because of something someone else does, or it might be just because of luck. But that can be encompassing more of that passive, just you want good things to happen, but you're not necessarily going to be the driving force. So if you can be optimistic, if I'm hearing you right, then I just want to make sure I'm getting this right. That, mm-hmm. So optimism, as I understood it, as I, when I really wrestled with trying to dis- decide as I was reading the textbooks and the different things that you've put out, if we look at then way power and willpower or uh, agency and pathway thinking, optimism would align more with the, the desire element of hope. Would that be right? But not necessarily connected with the way power in terms of the, the capacity to do it? Or am I thinking so about it incorrectly? It's tricky. It's often overall is pretty positively correlated. So there is a association that if you're high in optimism, you're most likely high in pathways, agency, and kind of overall hope. Okay. But it's not necessary. So you okay. can be very high in hope, but not quite so high in optimism in particular circumstances, because you might have a very strong belief in your capacity to do what needs to be done to think about how to problem solve and come up with strategies to achieve the goals. But if you're working in a context or if the goal is related to some sort of outcome that you do have very little control over, you can have all the belief in terms of your own personal hope, but also recognize that there are these external circumstances that make it more challenging. And so that's where high hope individuals tend to try and adjust their goals to be realistic about the context. And so how do you reframe things? This comes up sometimes working hope in the context of terminal illness Mm -hmm. that it's not that you can just say, I'm going to be hopeful and that's going to get rid of cancer. It's how can you think about, given what you're dealing with, what are the most appropriate goals and how do you work towards that? As opposed to some people might be more optimistic where they just think, I don't think I'm going to be personally the person that leads to these good outcomes happening. But you have a belief that maybe it's because of friends and family. Maybe it's because of faith. Maybe it's because of you just think you're really lucky you have that belief that good outcomes will consistently happen, but you're not necessarily saying that I'm going to be the person that's making that happen. And so you can have high optimism or high hope. Often they go together, but it's not guaranteed. And so that's what we find in terms of what they predict, but also in the research looking at, are these theories, are these constructs redundant? We do find that they're related to one another, but they are clearly distinct and they do uniquely and independently contribute to 
the prediction of many outcomes. Awesome. Okay. So one can be optimistic. I guess let me, let me reframe the question here that I'm, that I'm working in my head here. It's it, you can have hope generally, but let's say there's a particular goal in your life that, or a particular challenge that you're facing. We'll, we'll talk about the, the terminal illness in a few minutes, but I'm mm-hmm. thinking about um, college students who are about to graduate and they want to apply to graduate school. Okay. So we're thinking about undergraduate school, undergraduate students who are getting to the end of their career and they want to, at the end of their time at, at the undergraduate, they want to move on to, to graduate studies or, or doctoral level studies, whatever it is. Let's say they're optimistic in general, but whatever their top tier, let's say they want to get to MIT or the Harvards or the, the Stanford's or whatever the top tier schools are, mm-hmm. would, would it be wrong for them to hope in that? Uh, or should they settle for, you know, not this, I don't want to, I don't want dog state schools. I went to state schools, but you know, <laughs> but, you, yeah. but you know what I mean? I'm not, no offense. To, I went state school all the way, but you know no, what I'm talking about. Yes. Like, so the person can be optimistic about their desire to move forward in their career, but, but maybe like they have to be more realistic with how they set their goals. Like it would be hopeless to, would that be wrong to use that term to, th- to apply to Harvard if they just don't have the credentialing to, to get into that school? It's not that someone that's high hope would say, okay, I recognize the odds are low, so I shouldn't even try. Uh-huh. It's that having the appreciation of what are the actual facts in terms of uh-huh. Harvard, pick whatever other fancy school, the admissions rate is very low, whether it's undergraduate, graduate school, of whatever domain, and having the appreciation that some of it is about what you do in terms of your record. But with these kinds of admissions programs, like a lot of it is just luck. And so that's outside of your control. And so you can do everything that's within your control of kind of building a strong record, having good experience. And that's what someone that's kind of high in hope would really focus on is that those are the pathways that I can actually have control over and that I would want to kind of spend my agency on trying to make that happen. And then at a certain point, when it's outside of your control, um, you can try and kind of marshal resources of kind of support from other people if that's going to be something that helps you. But you do have the recognition that it's not completely deterministic by your own actions. And so acknowledging that, that shifts the goal in terms of I want to do the best I can to apply for these things, but also have the recognition that if I don't get into UCLA or Harvard or whatever, what's another good place that can help me to achieve my long-term goal of being a practitioner or researcher in whatever other area and having recognition that there's multiple ways to get to that point. And so if the first pathway of the number one school in the country doesn't work, what's number two or whatever you need to do and recognizing some places might be more appropriate for you. And so thinking about those alternatives rather than just, well, the first option doesn't work, I'm going to give up. And so that like resiliency, is that the right word here? I mean, are we saying that hope, what's the correlation between those two then, between those two, those two traits? Yeah, that's tricky because resiliency is something that sometimes is measured as an outcome, sometimes it's a process, uh-huh. and sometimes right. it's kind of a, a meta term to, rec- to represent like all of these different kinds of positive traits of hope, optimism, gratitude, all these things that promote positive outcomes. And so it's a little tricky in terms of how we define that. Um, but broadly speaking, someone who's high in hope will be more resilient. And so in the face of setbacks, whether it's in academic pursuits you don't get into your top choice, you can still recognize, I can still be successful, I can still pursue this. Or whether it's coping with stress, this is something we look at in the context of in the aftermath of traumatic events. So we had 
Hurricane Harvey here a couple of years ago, um, looking at what's the role of hope predicting positive psychological outcomes, negative psychological outcomes. Does it predict how well people can bounce back from those very intense stressors that understandably cause some significant distress? Does that help to determine that, yes, you might be upset by that given what happened, but how quickly do you kind of re-engage with your healthy coping to get back to baseline or to be flourishing as quickly as possible? And so that is something we find that individuals who are higher in hope tend to be more resilient and function better, even in the face of those kinds of stressors, whether it's traumatic incidents or kind of academic stress. Something you've already been kind of talking about loosely and and Shane Lopez, I know, says this in his book, Making Hope Happen, which I'll put links to all of this in the show notes. He says that hopeful people, high hopeful people are realistic or more realistic. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of what you're already saying is that if, if I have high hope and I recognize that I have a desire for said goal in my life, but then I, I, I know that there's m- usually there's multiple ways of being able to achieve said goal. Whether that's we're going just keep picking on this one example hypothetical situation of a student graduating and wanted to get to their career end, and so maybe Harvard's an option, but but maybe there's other options that are available for them, and so planning for those various options and recognizing that there could be multiple ways to to get to that, um, dealing with something like a tragedy and saying, okay, well, how do we take a realistic assessment of of where we're at, what has happened, and then what are the concrete steps that we need to do to move forward. That type of realism is is intimately connected with with the psychology of hope. Is that right? That's correct. And that's the question that we often get is what about what's false hope? Mm-hmm. Is it something that, you know, you have hope in something, but it's just not realistic, it doesn't make sense. And what we find in most circumstances is people that are higher in hope, they don't fall into that kind of trap that people wonder about because how they approach their goals from the very beginning is they try and be more precise, more specific, more concrete. And so it's not just, I want to do well in my job, in my life. It's thinking about, this is the particular area that I want to do. This is how I would first get into the workplace, how I'd first start that profession. This is the schooling that I would need to achieve that. And so making it more concrete, people become more aware of what are the actual challenges, the practical obstacles. And with that awareness, they can then think about kind of breaking that big picture goal into smaller goals. And what are the things I need to be mindful of? What are the pathways that are going to be effective? And how can I balance all that? So I'm pursuing these goals, but doing it in a realistic way. And so it's not in denial of the challenges. It's actually very approach oriented in terms of recognizing these are the difficulties I might face. And it's having the belief that, okay, I can be aware of those, properly acknowledge that they are going to be part of the picture but still work towards the goals that I want to achieve, whether it's getting into graduate school or whatever other domain, that you still work towards those things even in the face of um, challenges or stressors. But but hope is is about possibility, right? So, I mean, it's not like you can say, I I did a seminar here recently on hope and and integrating it with with the Catholic faith. And um, Mm -hmm. I proposed this statement. I said, you know, when I'm playing basketball with my five-year-old outside of my house, I don't hope to beat him at pickup, right? Like that mm-hmm. wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you, that would be an absurd statement to say because I know that I could. But, but equally, I wouldn't say I hope to beat LeBron James in basketball either. Or yes. how about we say James Harden to, to honor the Houston native over <laughs> yes. here? Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't hope to beat James Harden 
and his travel step back three pointer, but I'm not going to say anything there. So, but you know, not a travel. It's been shown. <laughs> I know that. Um, so, but hope, hope then sits somewhere in the middle, right? That it's like, okay, I have, I have a dream. I have a desire. I have a goal. I want to go achieve that goal. No, there are going to be obstacles along the way. I may not necessarily know what all those obstacles are, but I know that I have this capacity to kind of keep, kind of keep moving on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it's all, it's all fantastic. All right. Now, now hope, if we can just kind of keep moving in this conversation then is, is hope something that can be looked at neurologically speaking? Like, does it, does it exist? Where does it fire in the brain? So that's something that there has been some research looking into that is it something that we can reliably measure. And I think many of those kinds of studies have some limitations in terms of just the methodology. So it's not quite as definitive as we might like. Mm-hmm. There is some evidence that's kind of the prefrontal cortex, which is kind of one of the later parts of the brain in terms of evolutionary development that's associated with higher levels of cognition, that that might be part of where this might manifest in a kind of neurological sense. And so um, the left versus the right, there's a hemispheric of positive versus negative systems. And so thinking about hope being a positive future cognition, um, it's likely that that's kind of taking place in terms of the prefrontal cortex, but it's not something that we conceptualize as being um, solely kind of a byproduct of genetics or biological functioning. It's something that individuals have a stable level of hope for the most part that's developed across their lifespan, um, but it's more based off of experiences and the active engagement or desire to maintain or promote their own levels of hope that determines how hopeful they are. And so it's not something that when you're born, the die is cast of how hopeful you're going to be. We are shaped by our experiences, but hope is something that it is malleable. If you make a conscious effort to change it, that is something that can successfully be done. And it's not something that we solely believe. It's not like height where you're going to be a certain height depending on um, your genetic profile. It's not like that. Okay. All right. Well, that's good to know. That is hopeful. We're using the yes. term appropriately here, right? So then what is, paint me the picture then, somebody who's high hope versus low hope. What are the distinctions mm-hmm. and what, what, what does that look like psychologically speaking? Um, there's many different distinctions. I think in terms of an individual's level of mental health, someone who's high hope is more likely on average to be doing better across different domains of mental health. And so on the positive side, they're more likely to have higher levels of positive emotions, lower levels of negative emotions. They tend to report higher levels of life satisfaction improved social functioning, so they have a better sense of integration with their community, feel a sense of coherence um, with their neighbors, their family, whatever groups matter to them. They have a higher sense of meaning and purpose in life. They have a sense that they have some personal growth, mastery over their environment. And so all those positive aspects of mental health, but we also find in terms of mental illness, people who are higher in hope tend to be more resilient against the development of various forms of mental illness. And so anxiety and stress, um, anxiety and depression, which are kind of the emotional disorders that are most prevalent, at least in American society, um, those are things that there's a lot of research showing that hope provides a sense of resilience or kind of buffer against the development of those disorders in response to stress. And so people who are higher hope are less likely to have those various disorders. um, And it's also the case that it predicts recovery from those disorders. And so Part of why that is, is that individuals who are high as opposed to lower in hope use more effective 
and healthy coping strategies. Mm-hmm. And so they're more likely to approach a situation. They're more likely to engage with their emotions. They don't rely on suppression. They don't rely on kind of avoiding their emotions through substance use or other kinds of problematic strategies. And so because they are more proactive, more effective at managing their thoughts and feelings, that allows them to perform better in different context, but also psychologically to be doing better overall. That's great. That's great. And the gift of what you just said is that we'll talk strategies here in a few minutes. I got a couple more demographic questions I want to get through, but mm-hmm. that they're, that it's malleable, that this isn't something that it, you're, it's not a, the die is cast. Like you said, it, it's like if you're low hope in a certain situation, there are strategies that you can do to increase hope and to, to try to get out of that. Yeah, that people tend to have their kind of overall level of hope that in most situations, that's kind of their starting point. Mm-hmm. But there are variations in terms of different domains. It's not studied quite as much as overall hope, but looking at, say, what's your hope in academic settings versus sports settings versus kind of other contexts, that can vary a little bit, again, based off kind of experiences and what have you. Um, and it's also something that can vary across time to some extent. And so, it's not that you're the exact same level of hope on Monday as you are on Tuesday, but if you're high on Monday, you're probably high on Tuesday. So it's pretty correlated, um, but there are some fluctuations that can happen. But the good news in particular is that hope is something that if you happen to be a little bit lower um, because you've been dealing with particular stressors or whatever it may be, it is something that can be targeted and can be promoted reliably and effectively. So then would you, you would target it by, by going to the domain-specific areas? Is that it? Or? It depends. I think if you're in a clinical setting working with someone that's struggling with kind of one particular domain, it might be that you really emphasize that. But if it's something where someone is struggling more broadly, it might be kind of taking that step back and thinking about, uh-huh. you know, at the very basic level, like how do you think about your goals? How do you approach your goals? What do you do when you face challenges to kind of help people recognize what are your pathways? What's the agency? and to, not try and get too hung up on the jargon, but help people to figure out how they can figure out how to achieve their goals and how to have the motivation to actually put that into action. Okay. All right, cool. We're, we're going to put a pause in that. We're going to get to that in just a few minutes, but mm-hmm. just a couple more demographic questions. All right. So like with everything that's going on in our country today, fake news and all the political discord, how hopeful are we as a society? Is there, is there any measurements that, that look at our, our country as a whole with regards to hope? There's not a ton of great data looking at hope at kind of a national level and how that's varied across time. There's a little bit more information in terms of levels of optimism and how those vary across time and between countries. Um, That's something that using some of the data that Gallup has collected, um, I looked at that question a few years ago. We had data from 142 countries that together represented about 95% of the world's population looking at what people's expectations were five years from now. And fortunately, what we found is that worldwide, most people are on average optimistic, that there were some variations between and within countries, um, but by far, most people were optimistic worldwide. And it wasn't solely determined by you know, individual income or GDP at the country level. Um, those weren't the factors, where it's not just because of how well you're doing financially, that people, even despite that, we're quite optimistic. And so we have stronger data in that regard in terms of optimism than we do with hope. And that's partially because like some other areas of psychology, 
it's a relatively new scientific area. And so the measures that have been developed, they haven't existed for 50 years. And so we just don't know. Right. We can kind of make hypotheses about how different kind of times in our country may have been more or less hopeful, but we don't have that clear data necessarily. So we can't say that the golden generation was more hopeful than millennials. Not with any kind of scientific data to back that up in yeah. terms of kind of our current theory of hope. No. Got it. Got it. Cool. All right. What, what about demographics in terms of like, um, you know, socioeconomic status, race? Is there, is there anything that cuts across that or is it just in general that people are pretty hopeful in, in, in our day and age? That's something that's been increasingly studied in recent years, kind yeah. of recognition of psychology that we need to make it more of a diverse science. And sure. so looking into hope across different cultural groups and finding that it is pretty consistently the case that it seems like hope is beneficial across different groups or populations. It is a case that people of different backgrounds do face unique stressors, and particularly with some of the political circumstances right now, I think people of certain backgrounds have to face certain levels of discrimination, hostility, and racism. Mm -hmm. So that's an added stressor that kind of tests their hope in some way. Um, but it's not that we found any clear evidence that one group is always high hope and one group is always low hope. It seems like it's prevalent across different populations and it's helpful across different groups. Um, it's just some of the ways that it might be leveraged might be slightly differently because of the challenges that some people have to face and others don't have to. Got it. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Mario Sacasa, and I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Dr. Matt Gallagher, which I hope that you are deeply appreciating right now. So now that I have been doing this show for about a year, I can honestly say that I've learned a lot about hope, both from a theological and a psychological perspective, as well as understanding more deeply how people live it out. The show has been able to build on my years of counseling experience and all the other research that I've done, and now understanding the psychology of hope has given me a real clear lens and understanding of what it means to live with hope. So because of the years of research and in particular the dozens of interviews that I've done over the course of this year with this show, I am pleased to announce that I've put together a seminar called How to Live with Hope, which integrates both the theological and the psychological arenas surrounding hope. On this working retreat, you will experience a deeper understanding of hope, how it affects our personality, how it influences our faith, and strategies for how to increase it both personally and in our communities. If you're interested in having me come to your parish, diocese, workplace, or ministry, or any other organization to talk about hope as a one-off talk or even the full-blown seminar that I'm proposing here, please send me an email at msacasa at willwoods.org. That's M-S-A-C-A-S-A -S -S at willwoods.org. So for more information about the How to Live with Hope seminar, please check out the flyer that's on the show notes that you can download right there, or visit me at Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mari Sagasa. I look forward to being able to bring this message of hope to your organization or to your group in person. God bless everybody and enjoy the rest of this episode. Okay, so let's let's mm -hmm. bring this down and make this kind of concrete and get into some strategies. All right, let's say I am a 25-year-old single man and uh, I graduated from college and I started grad school and 
the grad school, it's just kicking me in the pants. I mean, like I'm just mm-hmm. struggling to get through the the course material, the, the, the amount of reading, it, other stressors are happening in my life. And I, and, and I just feel very hopeless that I'm going to be able to complete the degree and then move on and, and accomplish the goals that I have in my life. If I came to you for counseling or psychotherapy, where would you begin? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a couple of areas that we'd want to target first. I think one, it's getting a clear handle on what exactly is going on, what are the challenges that you're facing, what are the obstacles, so we can know, okay, we have the goals to succeed in this educational program, in this semester, in this context, what are we facing with right now? And so to be aware of what are, we have the big picture goals, but what are the short-term goals that help us to lead to that? And so talking through that um, very clearly, so we get a better understanding of what's going on with those challenges rather than just falling into that trap of, I have a lot of stress, it's overwhelming, I don't even want to think about it. So if we can think about what those goals are, that can be an important first step for kind of identifying what are going to be the effective pathways and how can we increase your motivation to do it, where it's often with promoting agency, just breaking it down to just taking that first small step. And so trying to do a different behavior, and this is consistent with how we kind of think about treating different sorts of disorders of what are alternative behaviors and let's test out, does that work better? Are you more successful? Do you feel better psychologically? And then have that experimental approach. If option A doesn't work, let's try option B. But having that intentional mindset, so we're trying different things, trying different pathways, promoting that agency, all at the same time, trying to identify what are some of the cognitions or thoughts that might be getting in the way. And so when you face a particular obstacle, is your first thought of, I'm not smart enough, I can't do that. And if you become aware of or mindful of those negative cognitions, you can start to kind of break the grip of those cognitions and loosen that. That's one way to think that that's one thought. You can acknowledge that I'm not smart enough for this, but you can also think about, well, maybe I am smart enough. Let's look at all the evidence. I got into this program. I'm doing pretty well. And so breaking down those cognitions is another thing we do. And then a third thing that this is something that people don't often appreciate about hope is that although it's an individual trait, it doesn't mean that you're trying to do everything by yourself and that you don't ask for or seek support. And so it might be the recognition of, I'm in this program, I have professors, I have support staff, I have many people who want to help me succeed. Maybe I need to reach out to them and get their help. And they can help me to understand, I'm putting all my effort into this strategy when I'd be much more successful if I was doing something slightly differently. And so reaching out for help to get that support from someone else is a way of kind of increasing the likelihood that you can achieve your goals, getting that social support is very consistent, often found in high hope individuals. That's something they do. They might have that strong belief in themselves. That doesn't mean that they wouldn't seek out additional support from someone else. So let me recap this. So the three things you just spoke about is the first one, kind of looking at your goals, very Mm -hmm. specifically, starting small and uh, trying to make whatever big goal is, trying to make it more bite-sized and and trying to get some momentum underneath you so that you can kind of keep moving forward. looking at goals and assessing that's one. Two, looking at underlying cognitions and thoughts that could be preventing you from uh, moving forward, that things that are affecting your motivation, the, 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 the discouragement, the negative self-talk, the, the shame maybe that, that, that is there that always emerges with every failure, the, the repeated negativity. So addressing that. 
And then the third piece would be encouragement to just reach out and, um, and, and find connection and, and social support and, and being vulnerable and, and reaching out to people to be able to encourage you and to help you and, to, and to, to increase that sense of motivation, or maybe even to give you new ideas about ways of tackling problems or solutions. Like you said, maybe putting your efforts at different places. That mm-hmm. one of those three goal, one of those three or all three of them would be a way of, for somebody to, to increase their hope in their life. Yeah, some combination of one or more of those three is likely to be effective in most situations to kind of change how someone is thinking about a situation or a challenge, change how they're behaving and changing how they're feeling. And so the different ways that we experience situations, if we can kind of instill that sense of hope, we can better understand alternatives, we can better identify our goals, we can not fall into the trap of negative automatic thoughts as easily, and we can recognize that we can have support of friends, family, loved ones, educators, whoever it may be, to help us in the pursuit of our goals, just as we would want to help them. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I did a seminar, and I don't know if this is appropriate or not, but I, at the seminar, I, I, I gave out the, the adult hope scale mm-hmm. um, to the participants, and then we, we processed it as a, as a kind of a group. And uh, one of the guys who was there, he, he shared beautifully, because so, so, sorry for the listener, my apologies, let me get ahead of myself, the adult hope scale can you just describe it briefly to everybody? Sure. It's an eight-item scale that's developed by Rick Snyder um, in the late 80s, early 90s. And it's something that at the individual level is the most widely used tool in the scientific community to quantify hope. And so it's got a couple items to quantify pathways thinking, a couple items to quantify agency thinking. And then when we use it in research, sometimes we look at one of the two components. Sometimes we look at overall hope, but it's the tool that's most widely used when it comes to quantifying hope in a scientific way. Beautiful. Thank you for that quick footnote so that way nobody feels lost in our conversation. Yes. So very important for a podcast. So let's, let's get back on track here. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- this guy in particular, he, he took the score, he said his overall score, score was fine, but he was, he was struck by the disparity between his agency and his pathways between the willpower and the way power. And he said his willpower was low, the subscale, the willpower was, was low, but then the, the, the way power was high. And when he said, he said that to the group as a whole, and, he, and I said, well, what do you think about that? And he said, you know, I tend to be really hard on myself and think that I can't achieve things or that mm-hmm. I can't get things done. But then when I took the test and I realized that I've achieved a lot more than what I'm giving myself credit for, again, not in pride, not in vanity, just in realistic yeah, you just know, recognition, just in recognition, humble recognition. He says, I realize now that as I'm looking at this, like, that the nar- the inner narrative is wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was like, good for you, man. That's awesome. And that's part of what we find is it's not trying to get people to think that I'm amazing. I never do anything wrong. But if you're working on this big long-term goal and there's 10 steps, if you've done great in the first eight and there's two to go, you don't just fixate on why well, haven't accomplished these two yet. That yes, you're still working towards those. Let's also be honest and kind of have the appreciation of what's been successful so far and kind of have that idea that we have momentum in terms of moving towards our goals, that we've made past success. We're going to keep pursuing that and hopefully that works out. And so it's having that balanced appreciation of what you've accomplished, what you still want to accomplish and trying to be realistic about all of that. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, we all have the narratives. I yeah. get it. You know, anybody who's in the creative mm-hmm. space, you, you put something out there and you're just like, well, I, I'm, I, I mean, I hope somebody's listening, you know, I hope somebody's engaging. I hope it, I hope it helps. And, and, and I know that sounds passive again, using that term, but, but there's an element of that, that we do 
desire, you know, to be successful. And, um, and just, yeah. Uh, and that's very understandable. And in creative context that you have that expectation, that hope, but you don't always have that control. And so think about what can you do with that? Um, but not falling into some of those traps, whether it's kind of wondering about success in a professional or creative realm or falling into thinking traps that underlie mood and anxiety disorders and trying to counter those negative automatic thoughts and recognizing again, like, what do I actually have evidence for? What do I know in terms of my success in this realm? And if my goal is to move past this, how can I break that down? So it's something I can feel like I can concretely and kind of tangibly work towards that rather than just sitting back and saying like, I hope it works out, but I don't know. This is great, Matt. I really appreciate this conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and before this turns into my own personal counseling session, we're going <laughs> we're we're to keep moving here. Sounds good. <laughs> um, so because the show, because I, I do have, um, it's, it's a faith-based show, you know, mm-hmm. what's the connection then between this kind of psychology of hope and then faith and meaning and purpose in life? How, how, do, how do those kind of correlate to one another? So I think it varies a lot just depending on the role that faith has in an individual's life and that whether that's an important part of their life or not, but it's um, definitely not the thing that's antagonistic to hope. And so it's not that faith or hope are kind of um, in some sort of disagreement or disconnect. It's not, it could be that an individual's faith is part of what helps them to maintain hope in this context of adversity, or it could be something that the faith is more relevant to actually levels of optimism. It could be something that's more playing a role in that capacity in terms of that larger expectation that good things are going to happen. You're not exactly sure how or why. Maybe that's where your personal faith, depending on your faith tradition, Mm -hmm. um, what details are, how that might come into play. And so it could be something that's supportive of that, but it's not something that you um, have to have faith to have hope. Or that if you are a someone who faith is a very important part of your life, that that would be an obstacle to hope necessarily. It's not, uh, there's not that disconnect. Well, what about meaning then? I mean, I'm thinking mm-hmm. right now of, of like Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, you know, that the, one of the landmark texts in, in psychotherapy. Yep. And, you know, one of the things he said, I mean, he said many beautiful things in that, in that book, but when looking at the, the, prisoners who survived the concentration camp, he, I mean, his assertion was that meaning played a big role in that. And yeah. the ones who were able to find meaning in the midst of their suffering and, and in this hellacious environment, that rationally doesn't make any sense and you can't add it up. It's just evil and, 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 and cruel and there's no way around that. But those mm-hmm. who were still able to find some purpose or some goodness in the midst of that versus those who couldn't and fell into despair and cynicism those are the one, one were the ones that were able to survive versus the others who weren't. How does that type of concept fit within what we're speaking about right now? Yeah, I think that can be a very extreme example of kind of what might come into play in terms of hope in the face of adversity, in terms of how you think about your goals. And that if you're in such a hellacious situation, um, like a concentration camp, the standard goals that one might have for their lives, just it no longer applies. So you have to be aware of that context. And so it might be that what's an individual's goal for their life or how they're deriving meaning is to try and survive, try and persevere, try and kind of maintain that faith or belief despite all those terrible circumstances. And so that could be how they adjust kind of what their focus is and maintain that belief that, again, you can't control your external environment completely but you can control what you do, how you think, 
what your emotions are. You have a lot more control or kind of agency over those aspects of your functioning. And so focusing on that to try and figure out with however you define or obtain meaning in your life, what's the best way to pursue that? And how can you keep working towards that, whatever the context may be? So going back to the example you spoke about earlier with somebody who has a terminal illness, mm-hmm. it, it would be a false hope to say, you know, outside of a miracle that yeah. whatever the person would be healed. You know, I'm thinking about horrendous, something, something like mercy, you know, just talking about this. I always talk about these things with great reverence. I recognize people are listening and struggles, but something like pancreatic cancer, of course, which would just be awful, terrible diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a pretty rapid cancer. How would, how would hope then here with the way we've been talking about it, help to guide somebody through the midst of, of, of a tragedy like that? Um, so what we would expect there is that it would help someone to have the recognition or appraisal that in the face of a particular diagnosis like that, what are the odds or what's the likelihood that there might be kind of complete remission recovery? And that it's not a guaranteed success rate in terms of you can do all the best treatments, but you're not guaranteed to have the outcome that, of course, might be desired. There is a chance oftentimes, and so trying to be honest about however high or low that may be, but recognizing given that, what else might you want to do with your life? And so if you have the expectation is a certain number of years or however long time frame is, given that, what do you then shift your goals to be in terms of is it thinking about your legacy, your relationships? Is the focus going to change in terms of what you spend your effort on where it's not that you would withdraw or not engage with medical care. It's not that you kind of give up in that way, but trying to focus on balancing given those circumstances, how can you best move forward towards your goals and with the recognition that some of your goals might've been upended a little bit in the face of a diagnosis like that. And so if that shifts what you're focusing on, how do you then develop new pathways and maintain that agency to kind of pursue those goals, even in the face of kind of very overwhelming stressor like that? Yeah. So then being humble enough to use this word again, to, to reassess whatever the goals are. Maybe the goal is, uh, I want to start thinking about my legacy, like you said, or, or maybe yeah. even in the midst of this, this treatment and the, 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 the way that I feel physically, I'm going to still try to have a positive attitude to the people around me, that that, mm-hmm. that goal in and of itself and movement towards that goal would be enough to instill a little bit of hope in somebody. Yeah. And that's what we kind of expect and tend to find. And whether it's looking at cancer populations or other people with kind of chronic illness or terminal illness is that people who are higher in hope or optimism, it's not that they just blindly believe they can ignore all medical advice and that they're just going to magically get better. It's not that kind of denial or magical thinking. It's recognizing, okay, how can I make the best of this? Whether it's a more or less severe diagnosis, what are my treatment options? How can I effectively pursue those? Do what's within my control. Try and maintain kind of a positive attitude about what's going on, but have that realistic appraisal about, you know, what are the odds of different treatments working? And given those circumstances that I'm working with, how do I shift my goals? How do I focus on what I can actually do to um, have a sense of meaning, purpose, engagement, and joy in my life. Yeah. Again, it's, it, I love that it's always about being realistic with, with where we're at and that we can always make movement forward in life, regardless of the circumstances. And, mm-hmm. and I think that, you know, 
as soon as we give up agency, as soon as we give up a sense of control over our life, I really think that that's a dangerous place to be. Um, yeah. In my own experience, the times where I have just become despondent or when I have let go of control or really have just kind of given in or given up or whatever it is, I mean, those are the times where I've just felt the honest, the, the worst in my life. And that's often what we find just in more clinical settings of working with clients that whether it's just a little bit of ongoing stress or kind of a more full-blown anxiety or mood disorder is that there can be that sense of loss of agency. They no longer have that belief that they can affect change in a meaningful way to achieve what they value or what their goals are. And that can be just such an important part of keeping them stuck where then you're not having ongoing positive experiences that provide pleasure and meaning. And so... That's something that some recent research has shown the ability to promote and kind of re-engage an individual's level of hope across many different treatment protocols, some of the kind of best treatments we have for anxiety disorders, and across different diagnostic boundaries, different conditions, hope is something that can be reliably changed over the course of kind of brief psychotherapy. And those increases in hope are a really robust, massive predictor of the extent to which symptoms are changing. And so we know it's not just that hope is a luxury for when things are going well, when people are struggling, when they don't kind of know how to cope with their feelings or their negative thoughts, it can be something that we can target, it can change. And that does seem to be something that leads to recovery from different forms of mental illness. Okay. So as we're kind of coming to a close here, a few, few more questions for you. I want to play devil's advocate, if I may. Sure. All right. Can you have too much hope? So that's something that kind of ties into the question of false hope, that okay. is there diminishing returns at some point with levels of hope. Mm-hmm. There's not a ton of evidence indicating that, because what we often find with people with high hope, it's not that you get to the point where you're just then pursuing kind of very easy goals. You try and always find a balance of what are your skills, what's the challenge, and so you keep kind of pushing yourself so there is going to be that balance. It's not that you're going to be overwhelmed in that way. I think where we might expect there could be a problem of too much of positive thinking might be more in the realm of optimism because that you might be a little bit more prone to falling into the trap of passivity in terms of thinking, I'm so certain that good things are going to happen no matter what, that I don't even put forth the effort myself to do that. And so that's something that um, there's not a ton of evidence there either, but we do maybe wonder if there's uh, more of a risk of too high levels of optimism and hope. But that's something that we definitely need more data on to really tease out. Are there, does it just stop being as helpful or is there a certain level where it gets to be problematic? Okay. And I mean, like you said, but blind optimism, I guess, where you just feel like everything's going to work out no matter what. But I mean, what about even, what was that book a few years ago that, that made the rounds that was super popular though? The Secret, you know, where it was oh, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, you know, where it just talked about not even just blind optimism, but if you like, will it in your thoughts, then it'll happen. I think that's the basic thesis of the book. I apologize. I didn't read it. So whoever's listening, if that's not it, my apologies. But that's the the concept that at least came to me is this notion that whether it's that book or others, but there's kind of the sense that if I just think it, you know, enough, then, then, then it'll happen. Like, yeah. Yeah. That, it sounds like it was very compelling in terms of it was quite successful as a book, right. but it, from my understanding, it was much more of kind of promoting more almost magical thinking. That it's, mm-hmm. If you just think something, then that makes it happen. And that's not even what we typically find with optimism. And it's not that highly optimistic people 
are generally not passive either. They do do active coping. They try and pursue their goals, manage stressors. And so um, that's another kind of question that we get sometimes in terms of is hope, is optimism, is it just like the secret where it's just, I put these positive thoughts out into the atmosphere and then magically I'm going to accomplish my goals. And that's very much not what these theories or what these models and what these measures really emphasize. It's more, what can you do with that personal agency? So that belief of you as an individual, what are you going to do to bring about those goals? And so it's um, in stark contrast to what seems to be emphasized in the secret and some of those other kind of pop psychology where just think positive thoughts and then wait two minutes and you're good. That's not what we're talking about with um, psychological theory of hope and the research that we're doing. Okay. All right. Great. All right. So um, is hope evil? There's a question. Is it bad? Hmm. You think of the Pandora story. Okay. Yes. That's the one everybody knows. It's the, the ancient Greek story of uh, Pandora is the first human created by Zeus and she's given this box or jar depending on the, the translation and in it are all the evils of the world. She opens the jar or the box and everything kind of pops out. And then the last thing remaining in the jar is, is evil. Uh, is, sorry, not evil. My apologies. Is hope. Yeah. I got oh. my Myers cross there. Yeah. Like, Jesus, mercy. Is hope. But why was hope in the jar to begin with? <laughs> that's Yeah. So I think that's uh, somewhat varying in the philosophy as well as psychology. Yeah. Whether people take that as being that hope is kind of the last of those evils and yes. something that's kind of how people frame it sometimes as a delusional trap that you fall into or thinking about it is such an important resource that after all these things have been unleashed upon the world, is hope something that can be thought of as a source of strength? And so it's not something, again, that's going to magically cure everything. But if it is something that at an individual level, at a community level, is a remarkable source of resilience, is that something that we can use to face the challenges that we face, whatever they may be? So um, that's something that kind of the myth of kind of Pandora and hope being in the box or jar, it's something we often talk about. But whether how to best kind of interpret that, it's tricky. But I think thinking about in terms of it might be that last resource. And so it might be something that can be thought of in a positive way. Um, but that is somewhat a philosophy question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Wait, wait, wait a punt. That's good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> know your lane. Good, good researcher. Yep. But I thought I'd just ask anyways. Yeah. Um, but for you, obviously, you would say, I mean, not with that story specifically, but just that hope across what you've seen psychologically, it, it's, it's, a, it's a positive. It fits within this narrative of positive psychology about what does it mean to be a flourishing person? What does it mean mm -hmm. to, to, to live at our best? And, and we need this trait understood in this way to be able to get us there um, and to help us to be realistic as we kind of move through the struggles of life. Because unsaid throughout this whole conversation has been that, I mean, we need hope to, to overcome the difficulties that are presented to us. And none yeah. of us are, um, are, are, are beyond that. I mean, we all have challenges. We all have things that kind of obstacles that get in the way of our goals. We all have things that, that come to us that we may be pursuing something. We may have had a dream or a vision or something. And then something happens that derails that project that we have to then reassess, okay, where do I go from here? But I think that's the key is that always trying to say, man, like, like just you, you got to keep going, right? I mean, mm -hmm. like you just, as soon as you stop again, you know, that's, that's when it becomes a problem. Yeah. Not just getting fixated on what are just the challenges or kind of failures of the past, but maintaining with that sense of hope, kind of how can I keep working towards a better future? And that 
the challenges that we face all vary dramatically, but everyone has obstacles that come into their way, whether it's in their personal life, professional life, whatever it may be. And so thinking about how, to the extent that we can keep promoting hope in individuals, does that provide that general sense of resilience that they believe and they do have the capacity to think about strategies. They have the motivation agency to pursue those goals effectively to cope more effectively in the face of stressors. That's something we try and um, really kind of think about and promote. And that's why we need high hope people, right? I think Shane mm-hmm. says this in, in his book again, that hope is contagious. It's one of yeah. his phrases and it's passed off to the third degree. And so if I can pass off hope to my students and then they can pass off hope to their you know, friends then that is how we can make hope um, this this con- this contagious experience. And so, if somebody's listening to this and they find themselves being low in hope, you know, put yourself by somebody who who has high hope in your life, um, so that you can you can feel that and kind of absorb some of that um, energy. Um, that's exactly right, and that's why we often try and look at hope in educational settings. And that if we can try and figure out how our classrooms, our schools, can be better environments for instilling, maintaining, and promoting hope, that we can kind of get people at a young age to have this sense, that have this belief that they can maintain this level of hope and benefit from that, um, rather than kind of struggling for many years without that. And so to the extent that educators, administrators, um, it's not the only place that you can promote hope, but if we can get that with children, that people kind of develop their levels of hope early on, that's something that can benefit from people across their lifespan. It's not going to take care of everything again, but it's something that it's definitely better to have high hope than not. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so with workforces as well, you know, trying to mm-hmm. make managers being more hopeful and people who work underneath them to, you know, instill that as well. So, um, well, Matt, I've sincerely appreciated this conversation and your, your breadth of knowledge with this. I mean, it really shows obviously your ease of being able to just talk about this um, and rattle off these, these great, con- these, these, the, the data and the research. It's really profound. So thank you so much for joining me on the show. And is there anything that you want to plug? Is there a website or the, the Oxford Handbook of Hope or yeah, anything else you got kind of working on that you'd love to take a second to, to promote to the audience here? Yeah, we have the Oxford Handbook of Hope. That was something that Shane Lopez and I published um, the past few years, just trying to bring together kind of all the scientific community looking at hope and what we know about the role of hope in treating anxiety disorders, coping with terminal illness, sports performance. And so that's something that really brought together a lot of resources. We tried to have kind of a practical bent as well. And so it's more of an academic text, but does have a lot of information about what we know about hope. Um, and as you mentioned, Shane Lopez's book, Making Hope Happen, that's also a great resource. It's tailored a little bit more towards um, kind of community readers. And so that's another great opportunity, as well as Rick Snyder's book um, on hope from 1994 is another kind of more practical application of hope theory that some of the findings are a little bit dated, but that's kind of the underpinnings of much of what we're now studying. And so there's increasing kind of publications and work out there that try and bring hope to the masses to make it more accessible about what we really know about the scientific study of hope and not just what people might assume it to be. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I'll put again, uh, those, those book titles in the show notes for anybody who's interested and Matt Gallagher, final question, ask all my guests, what gives you hope? Uh, what gives me hope? I would say, um, my family, uh, I just, I'm fortunate enough to have a daughter who was born earlier this year. And so my wife and I are enjoying that. And so I'm um, thinking about how we can support her and provide her for her future. And then just 
friends and family and loved ones. And so having the opportunity to work with great graduate students in this area to kind of further the scientific study of hope is something that I really enjoy and feel privileged to be able to do. And so, um, yeah, I think as with many people, it's the relationships that kind of support us and keep us going. So that's a big source of hope for me. If I can ask just a little bit here, with all the research that you've done, how, how has this helped you just to be more mindful of your own hopefulness or hopelessness in those times? Yeah, it's something I just try and, as you said, be mindful of. And so kind of check in with myself as I'm thinking about different goals of, you know, working towards tenure and kind of my professional career or whatever it may be. How am I maintaining hope? And then am I and not being kind of blindly positive, but thinking about what's within my control? What are things I can work towards and maintain that motivation? And even in the face of obstacles or setbacks, trying to kind of keep that positive attitude and determination is something that I try and so study with a st- uh, science of hope, but also practice in my own life. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate your, you answering all this and being with me on mm-hmm. the show today. It was really a sincere pleasure. And, uh, and I just, yeah, I hope that you have a, a great day. And, and again, blessings and congratulations on the new baby. That's fantastic. A great honor. Yes, thank and enjoy. you. And, um, and yeah, just have a great day. Yeah. Enjoy talking to you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay. All right, everybody, another great episode is in the bag. So what's the takeaway from this episode? Hope is about potential. It's about recognizing that possibility for good in life is always there. But it's not just about the potential of life. It's about our capacity or the belief, rather, in our capacity to go and get it done. So hope is about a belief as well as it is about a sense of agency in my life that I can make good things happen. So hope is not passive. It's an active and engaging process that requires us to accept honest control over our lives. Yes, of course, the Lord is in charge of it all. He's in charge of everything that is happening. But he invites us to co-create the mission, the beauty, the artwork that is our lives. He invites us to use our free will so that we can bless others and make good things happen here on earth. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven is our prayer. And do we believe it? And hope helps us to actualize the potential of God's kingdom here on earth. He respects our freedom to choose or not to choose. So, let us march forward in hope and let us be a light of hope for others because others need it so desperately. Well, now the show is done. Please don't forget to visit me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. Let me know what you think about this episode. Be good, everybody, and God bless. Mm-hmm.